0: Well, my name is Scott Wilson, I'm the pastor of disciple making here at Cornerstone, and we are continuing in our series called Ground Level. This is a, a practical series on equipping the church to pray, and today we will be in Luke chapter 11 as we consider how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. If you don't have a copy of scripture with you this morning, we'd be happy to give you one. Just simply raise your hand and one of our ushers will come forward and give you a Bible. But just a few moments again will be in Luke chapter 11. I want to ask, who taught you how to pray? If you're like me, you do not remember a time when somebody sat you down and said, this is how you pray. So much of how we pray is caught more than it's taught see, when I was in high school, I remember listening to the people around me, my my peers, and how they would pray. And that shaped how I began to pray. And so I would hear those typical Christian cliches, that prayer lingo that we oftentimes say. Like, for instance, if a friend is going on a road trip, we say, Lord, I pray that you would give them travel mercies. Or before we partake of a meal, we pray, Lord, bless the hands that prepared that food. Just their hands, not any more of them. You see, we, we, we pick up on these things, and we begin to repeat them and pray them. Or perhaps you learned to pray by listening to more formal prayers. You went to church, and you recited a certain set of prayers. Or you sat down at the dinner table, and you prayed that same prayer every time. Maybe it was something like this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. You see, many of us learned how to pray by listening to others and following their example. This is a good way to learn to pray if you are following the example of somebody who prays well. But it's not a great way to learn if you're imitating somebody who doesn't pray well. Thankfully, Jesus' disciples had the best teacher in all the world to teach them how to pray. They had Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And having invited the disciples into his life, the disciples had a front row seat to watch Jesus' prayer life. Can you imagine all that they saw and observed as they watched him pray? They listened to him. They saw this very real and vibrant prayer life in Jesus. He was obsessed with prayer. There was something different about the way that he prayed that was different than all other people. As we saw last week, Jesus' prayer was both organic and rhythmic. It happened naturally, but it also happened at set times throughout the day. Jesus was unceasing in prayer. And his prayer life was intimate and relational. Prayer was the way that he communed with his heavenly Father. And the disciples concluded they needed Jesus to teach them how to pray. Well, the question is, who is going to ask him how to pray? Have you ever been in class growing up as a, as, a, as a kid where everybody in the class has the same question of the teacher, but nobody wants to raise their hand and ask the teacher the question? I, I think that was kind of happening here in Luke chapter 11. It seems that the disciples were reluctant to ask, but praise be to God, there was one disciple, we don't know who, and he had the boldness to ask Jesus, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Church, I hope you're asking the same question this morning. It's okay to ask, how should I pray? What should I say? How can I pray more like Jesus? Jesus welcomes those questions. And in response, he gives us a simple prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. And this prayer serves as a model for us, a way that we can pattern our own prayers, And so let's learn from Jesus together. Let's go to the school of prayer in Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying at a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, let's pause there for a moment. Notice this disciple mentioned that John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. You see, it was very common back then for rabbis to teach their students how to pray. Each rabbi would have a different style of prayer, perhaps different words, but the point was this. They wanted their disciples to pattern their prayers after theirs. Jesus was happy to grant this disciple his request, and so he gave the disciples a prayer that they could pattern their prayer lives after, known as the Lord's Prayer. And if you were a follower of Jesus this morning, that makes you a disciple of Jesus. You are a learner, somebody who has apprenticed yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've ever wondered, how should I pray or what should I say, then Jesus has good news for you. Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Jesus wants to teach you and me how we can pray to our Heavenly Father. So let's look at verse two. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, you may be wondering why Luke's version of Lord's Prayer is shorter or abbreviated in comparison to Matthew's version. Well, first of all, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray on more than one occasion. And like any good teacher, he repeats himself over and over again so that this truth about prayer would sink down deeply into the hearts of his disciples. And second, Jesus is showing his disciples that prayers shouldn't be limited to an exact set of words. Jesus is giving his disciples a pattern by which they should pray, not exact words to recite. So, what we have before us is a prayer template. Jesus' prayer and the priorities reflected in this prayer ought to shape our prayers. Now, perhaps you grew up in a church tradition that recited the Lord's Prayer every week. And the more you recited it, the more mundane it became. It was just words. You said them, but weren't praying them from the heart. If that's you, I hope that you see this prayer differently this morning. I hope that you see it with new and fresh eyes. So how then should we pray? Well, our prayer should begin with a focus on God and his glory. Disciples of Jesus pray God-centered prayers. That's the first thing we learn from the first half of the Lord's Prayer. Disciples of Jesus pray God-centered prayers. While Jesus recognizes the importance of us coming to God with our needs, he doesn't start there. His prayer begins with a recognition of the one to whom we pray. And what Jesus says next is radical. It would have stopped the disciples in their tracks. He says, when you pray... Say, Father. Church, no one at this time would have prayed that way. No one would have had the audacity to say, God is my Father. In fact, God is only called Father 14 times in the Old Testament scriptures. There are 23,000, over 23,000 verses in the Old Testament and only 14 times God is called father. And he's never called that in a very personal way either. In fact, the word father in the Old Testament refers to God being the sovereign creator of his people. Not once did a person in the Old Testament speak of God as my father. No, this term was in relationship to God being the father of Israel. Not an individual. But then came Jesus. Every single time Jesus prayed, he referred to God as his, as his father. In fact, he referred to God being his father over 60 times in the Gospels. This is revolutionary. No one in Scripture ever prayed to God as their father or spoke of God being their father. But Jesus did. And he turns to his disciples and says, I want you to To do the same. When you pray, say, Father. Pray to God as Father. You see, oftentimes when we think of God, we we focus on his transcendence. We focus on the fact that God is in the heavens, ruling and reigning over all things, and that is certainly true. And that's what the Jewish people focused on, and Jesus affirms that. But Jesus also speaks of God in the most intimate of terms. And the term that he uses for father is an Aramaic term called Abba. God is our Abba. Abba can be translated dearest father. Now everyone in Jesus' day would have called their earthly father Abba. But no one would have referred to God as Abba. No one thought they could have that kind of intimate relationship with the Lord. And that's what makes Jesus' prayer so shocking. Jesus tells his disciples to join him, to call God their Abba, their dearest father, and for good reason. You see, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given the right to be called a son or daughter of God. When you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God becomes your Father, and you become His child, and now you are authorized as His child to come into His presence, knowing He is your Heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you. Jesus transforms our relationship to God. Once we were estranged from God, but now we were brought into relationship with Him, The God who was once distant from us has now been made personal. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. Therefore, Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. To have been told to address God as dearest Father would have shocked the disciples, and it probably doesn't shock us very much, because that just is the norm of how we pray, right? If you're anything like me, you address God as Father in prayer, And you move on without thinking about all that's wrapped up in that word. But how valuable would it be for us to stop and think about all that's wrapped up in the word Father? It reminds us that God calls us his children. He hears us when we pray. He knows us, cares for us, and wants to provide good gifts to his children when we seek him in prayer. And when you cry out to God as your Abba, your dearest Father, you are demonstrating that you have a genuine relationship with Him. In fact, the Scriptures testify to this. Galatians 4.6, for instance, says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. If you have believed in Jesus, that makes you a son or daughter of God, and the Holy Spirit is in you, and he causes you to cry out to God, not just as God, but as Father, as Abba. Romans 8, 15 and 16 says this, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, when you trust in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit tells us not only that we are God's children, but He causes us to cry out to our Father in a personal and intimate way. Consider your own relationship with God for a moment. Do you relate to God that way? Do you have an awareness that He is your dearest Father? When you come to God, is your heart full of love and affection for Him? Do you relate to Him as your perfect Heavenly Father? Over the past few weeks, I've noticed a number of uh, of toddlers in our nursery, as well as in our, our lobby. And it's been so fun to watch these little ones relate to their parents. You can tell they have a sense of safety and security with their mom And dad these children know who they belong to and so they they cling to their parents or their grandparents and they have this sense that they are loved how much more should it be for us as we relate to our Heavenly Father as we come to him in prayer and say father we do so with an awareness that we are extravagantly loved by him and secure in him You see, through Jesus, we had the privilege of knowing God and praying to God as our Father. And that was a paradigm shift for the disciples. They never prayed to God as Father. And I can only imagine they had trouble doing this at first. Jesus, do you really want us to call God our Father? And maybe for you, that's hard to do as well. Because every time you use that word, you think of your earthly father. And and for many people, we've had imperfect fathers who have let us down in many different ways. But Jesus wants us to know, and he wants his disciples to know, that we are loved by a perfect Heavenly Father. And through prayer, we can joyfully enter into his presence. It should amaze us that we have this intimate, personal relationship with the God of the universe. But that intimacy in prayer is also mixed with reverence. Because Jesus also says this. He says, when you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name. To hallow God's name means that we treat his name as holy and worthy of worship. And so when we pray, we are to pray that God's name would be revered. Pray that God's name would be revered. For Jesus, prayer starts with worship. When we pray, we are to come into the presence of God with an awareness of the one in whom we approach with an awareness of His holiness. When we spend time going into His presence, we adore Him, when we revere Him, and we worship Him. That's how we're called to pray. But when it comes to prayer, it's not uncommon for us to rush into God's presence and tell Him our petitions. But you don't find this in the Bible. When people come into God's presence, they were struck with fear. They would fall to the ground Or they would immediately become aware of their sin, much like Isaiah did when he he saw this vision of the Lord in his glory and says, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. It's no wonder then that the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. He says, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When I was in college, I had a professor who would begin class with prayer. And he would say, class, let's pray. And then he would be silent for 10 seconds. And it felt like an eternity. He never told us why he remained silent, but we all knew. Our professor was taking those few moments just to orient his heart and mind around the person in whom he was approaching. He was entering the presence of his heavenly father and that's just one way we can hollow god's name in prayer we recognize his holiness but not only are we to revere his name but we're also to pray that his name would be revered by others we're to pray that god's name would be regarded as holy everywhere in the places where we live and work and play and worship As we go about our everyday lives like Jesus, we can pray, Father, glorify your name. That prayer will transform your life. Father, hallowed be your name. Father, glorify your name through our lips and our lives. Glorify your name when we go out in public, but also when we're in private. Father, may your name be revered, adored, and worshiped in all the world. Church, how can we pray for God's name to be hallowed in our families? How can we pray for God's name to be hallowed in our neighborhood? How can we pray for God's name to be hallowed in our workplace or school? How can we pray that God's name would be hallowed right here at Cornerstone Community Church? The first line of this prayer can transform how you live in relationship with your family, community, church, and world. We get the honor and privilege of knowing God as our Heavenly Father and representing Him to a dying world. And so we pray that His name would be revered and worshipped, but we also pray this, Jesus says, pray for God's kingdom to come. The second line of this prayer is also God-focused. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, your kingdom comes. When we pray for his kingdom to come, we are praying for two things. One, we are asking for God's kingdom to spread in this this world right now. For the gospel to advance, for people to repent of their sin and to believe in King Jesus. And second, we are praying for Jesus' return. When we pray, we are longing for the day when God will establish his kingdom on earth. After all, we are keenly aware of the fact that this world is fallen, that it is full of evil and sin and immorality and death. We are aware that our lives in this world is not how God originally created it to be. And so we pray for the day that Jesus will return and establish his kingdom and do away with sin, Satan, and death. You see, when Jesus stepped into this world, See, when he stepped out of his perfect heavenly home, he came into the filth of this earth. And he declared that the kingdom of God was at hand. The Holy One of God, God's king, has stepped foot in our unholy world. The kingdom of God was breaking into this world. The king was ushering in his kingdom. He was calling people to believe in him, to enter his kingdom, and to receive the free gift of eternal life. And one day, our king is going to return and usher in the kingdom in its fullness. Heaven will come down to earth. God's kingdom will fully come and life will be perfect. And So we pray, come Lord Jesus. There is a day coming where there'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more disease, no more death. A day coming when God will purify our sinful hearts and restore our decaying bodies. A perfect day is on the horizon when God's people will live in God's place in his perfect presence forever and ever. And so we pray, God, Father, would your kingdom come? Do you pray that way? Perhaps that's an area you need to grow in. You see, we can become more concerned about our own kingdom and our own lives than God's kingdom. We can live for things that are temporary as though this world is all that will ever be. Or we can be so consumed with our own circumstances and the own, our own difficulties that we're facing in the here and now that we, we fail to look beyond them and see the, the perfect day that is coming when these, these struggles will be no more. You see, longing for the kingdom of God to be established should be at the forefront of our prayers. And not only does that give us hope for the future, but it changes how we live in the present. You see, right now, Jesus is establishing his kingdom. He is working in and through his people to advance his gospel, to bring men and women and children into relationship with this heavenly Father. Through faith in Christ, people are entering into the kingdom You see, life in the kingdom begins now, and it lasts forever. Through faith in Christ, Jesus becomes our king, and we become his servants. And we get the privilege of following Jesus and obeying Jesus and and inviting more people to follow him and to believe in him as well so they can be a part of his everlasting kingdom. Church, Jesus has given us an awesome prayer. We pray to God, our Father. We we pray that we would hallow his name for his kingdom to come. We see in this first part of the Lord's Prayer, this vertical orientation. It's very God-centered. And Jesus could have stopped there, but he didn't. Now he shifts in his prayer, and he gives us more. He tells us how to pray for our needs. In the second half of this prayer, we see that disciples of Jesus pray, god Dependent prayers. Disciples of Jesus pray God dependent prayers. Jesus tells his disciples to pray, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Our Heavenly Father invites us to come to Him with our daily physical and spiritual needs. He knows you need food. He knows you need forgiveness. And he wants to help you as you face temptation. As a follower of Jesus, you need to know that it is okay to pray for your daily needs. Our daily needs are not inconsequential to God. And so we pray, give us each day our daily bread. We are to bring before God our physical needs. Yes, God cares about the everyday, ordinary needs of life. Now, it's tempting for us to want to spiritualize this verse, isn't it? Thinking that God only cares about spiritual things and not material things. But He doesn't. He cares about both. Or it's tempting to think that we should only bring the big things to God and not the small things. But God cares about the things that we would say are inconsequential. Let's be honest, it's tempting to forego this part of the Lord's Prayer. It's tempting for us to live independent of God for everyday needs. You probably didn't wake up this morning and and pray that God would provide food for you. And the reason being is that we are very wealthy in comparison to much of the world. If your pantry or refrigerator is running low today, you just get up, hop in the car, and go to the grocery store and buy some groceries. But do we give thought to the one who gave us the money to purchase our everyday needs? It's important that we recognize that everything we have, everything we own, is a gift from our loving Heavenly Father. Or perhaps instead of praying, give us each day our daily bread, we end up worrying about the bread of today or the bread of tomorrow. We end up worrying about how much money is in our bank account or if we have enough for retirement in the future. And we constantly think about this and ruminate over this. And consequently, we become workaholics our desire for money or the things they can buy or the peace that it will give us has led us down a path of living independently of God. Maybe we need to stop and slow down and pray. Pray to our Heavenly Father who knows what we need. He invites us to pray to Him and ask Him for our daily, material, and spiritual needs. We need to stop, slow down, pray, and rest in the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. Give us each day our daily bread. Do you pray that way? You know, one thing you could pray if you want to add this into your prayer life is Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Lest I live independently of you. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Maybe incorporate Proverbs 30 into your prayer life. Pray, Father, give us what we need today. Help us to depend on you. Not to live independently of you, but to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the hand of my loving and gracious Father. Pray for your daily needs. Uh, Be like that neighbor in Jesus' parable that, that Andy preached on a couple weeks ago, who in the middle of the night, relentlessly, knocked on his friend's door, asking for bread, until that friend got up. Likewise, we need to keep bringing our needs before God, and we can do so without shame, knowing that our Heavenly Father loves us, cares for us, knows what we need, he hears us, and he desires to answer the prayers of his children. Another way we can pray with God-dependence is by praying for forgiveness. We see this in verse 4, pray for forgiveness. Forgiveness is even more necessary than bread, isn't it? I mean, what good is it to have a full belly and yet have a lost soul? What good is it to have all the material possessions you need and forfeit your soul? Not only do we need our Heavenly Father for daily food, but we also need him for daily forgiveness. And so we confess our sins to him through prayer. And when we call out to him for for forgiveness, the good news is he grants it. He forgives us of our sin. When we cry out to him, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, he shows us mercy. Church, crying out to God as our Heavenly Father for forgiveness should permeate our prayers. You see, as disciples of Jesus, we live with an awareness that we are sinners and that we need the Savior. We know that we need God's forgiveness, and that's why we cry out to God to save us. That's why we cried out to Him for salvation in the first place. We knew our sin. We saw him as the Savior. And we said, Lord, save me, forgive me, make me new. And he's done that. But Scripture also tells us that all who cry out to God and believe upon him ought to be continuously asking God for forgiveness of sin. Yes, through faith in Christ, we are forgiven for our sins past, present, and future. But that does not mean we ask for forgiveness once at the beginning of our life with Jesus and never stop asking again. No, when we sin, we confess it to our Heavenly Father. It breaks our heart to know that we have sinned against God. Sin doesn't break our relationship with God now that we know Him, but it does strain it. It affects it. We aren't as close to Him as we once were, and we need to get right with our Heavenly Father. And so we pray as Jesus calls us to pray. We say, Father, forgive us of our sins. 1 John 1, 9 is an amazing verse. It says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a promise. When you confess your sins to God in prayer, He forgives, He cleanses, He restores a relationship. And if he, And if we are to experience God's forgiveness, it's going to make us into forgiving people. Jesus says here that those who ask for forgiveness are those who show forgiveness. Look with me at that little phrase in verse 4. Again, we are to pray, Father, forgive us of our sins. Now here's the phrase. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Matthew's version says this, Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors saint augustine looked at this line in the lord's prayer and called it a terrible petition it's terrible because we are asking god to forgive us as we have forgiven other people it puts us on the hook are we living with an unforgiving heart toward others if so, we're asking God to forgive us to the extent to which we are forgiving other people. And church, that's pretty scary to think about, isn't it? If we are not forgiving other people, then do we really expect God to forgive us? Jesus drives home this point on several occasions. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 5, 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or in Matthew chapter 18, verse 32, in that parable of the young forgiving servant, we read this. Jesus says, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt Because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is emphatic about this point. Those who ask for forgiveness show forgiveness. Do we do this perfectly? No. Showing forgiveness can be incredibly difficult. It can be incredibly painful, especially depending on what offense was committed. And if you have an internal struggle within you for forgiving somebody, don't think you're automatically condemned to hell. The struggle in your heart is good. It shows that you know what is right. You know what you ought to do. Now ask God to help you take action and forgive that person. As Christians, there is an internal impulse within us to be forgiving. After all, we have sinned against a holy God. We have assaulted God's holiness. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God extends his forgiveness to those who cry out to him through faith in Jesus Christ. And in turn, we desire to extend that same forgiveness to other people. If you're struggling to forgive today, bring that to the Lord in prayer. Holding on to unforgiveness will only make you a bitter person. It will have an effect on your life. It will wreck you emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Unforgiveness destroys families. It devastates churches. Perhaps there's somebody today that you need to forgive. Perhaps that's a spouse or a family member or somebody who used to be a close friend, another believer, or or someone from a former church. The fact is, we are all sinners. And so long as we are in relationship with other sinners, we are going to sin against one another and yet we are called to treat one another as the Lord Jesus Christ has treated us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says this, If one has complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. God desires that his children show, show forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. Do you pray that way? Do you regularly ask forgiveness your heavenly Father, to forgive you. Jesus told us that those who ask for forgiveness will show it to other people. And Jesus said we are to pray for forgiveness even though he was still yet to go to the cross. You see, in just a short time, Jesus would go to the cross after giving the Lord's Prayer. He knew that he would pay the full price for our sins. Jesus would make the way for us to be forgiven, cleansed, and made new. And if you have experienced the depth of Jesus' love for you, if you've experienced his grace and mercy toward you, how can you not become a forgiving person? Ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness. And finally, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for strength to resist temptation. Not only do we need forgiveness, but we need the power to overcome temptations because every single day we are assaulted by temptations. There are three things opposed to us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Every day we are under their assault, beckoning us to sin. And so it's fitting that Jesus tells us and lead us not into temptation. But what does it actually mean? We read that and, and we're so oftentimes confused. At first glance, it looks like Jesus says that God leads us into temptation. Like he's dragging us reluctantly into the steel cage match with our sin. But that's not what he means here. As James writes in James 1.13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Others look at Jesus' words and they misunderstand it by thinking that that he's asking us to pray that God would prevent us from ever being in a situation where we're tempted. But it can't mean that either. After all, Jesus himself was tempted. The author of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. In Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus was, was led into the wilderness, and there he was tempted by the devil. And so clearly, Jesus does not intend for us to pray, God, don't allow me to be tempted. So what does he mean when he says, lead us not into temptation? Well, what Jesus is saying here is he's asking or telling us to pray that we would be protected from sin. Temptation is inevitable. And so we're called to pray that we would have the ability to withstand it when it comes. Pray for the the power to overcome the temptation to sin. You see this principle at work in Jesus' life. Again, when he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, the devil comes at him and and tempts him to, to sin on multiple fronts. And yet Jesus overcomes that temptation by depending on God and standing on the promises of God's word. And in the end, he is victorious. God's will is for you and I to overcome temptation, not by our own strength and power, but his That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation. Jesus doesn't call us to pray that God would keep us away from temptation, but he calls us to pray that God would deliver us in the midst of it, that it wouldn't overpower us, that we wouldn't give in to the false promises of sin. Church, we know this by experience. Temptation is relentless. It's coming our way. It will come to us daily are multiple times per day. And therefore, it's critical that we ask our Heavenly Father, that we cry out to Him in prayer, God, give me the strength to overcome and to become more like Jesus. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Trials and temptations help us mature in our faith. Through prayerful dependence on God, we can overcome temptation and see our faith strengthened. It's a bit like weightlifting. When we lift weights, we break down our muscle fibers only to have them repair themselves and grow back stronger. And the more we endure, the more weight we we pick up and press, the stronger our bodies become. And so too it is when we face temptation. See, those temptations feel heavy, don't they? Sometimes they feel like they're too heavy to bear. And we might feel tempted to drop the weight and just give in. But praise be to God, we have a divine weightlifting partner. We have a God, a heavenly Father, who comes alongside us, strengthens us, supports us in our struggle against sin. And so we pray Not that we wouldn't face temptation, but that we would be able to stand against it and overcome it in the strength that God supplies. Church, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are his disciple. A disciple is a learner, a follower, an apprentice of a teacher, and we have the ultimate teacher in Jesus. And he wants us, his disciples, to learn how to pray. The best kind of teachers are those who practice what they preach. And Jesus did just that. Prayer was his priority. For Jesus' prayer was intimate. It was unending. It was the way he communed with his heavenly father. It was the source of his strength. Church, Jesus invites us, his disciples, to follow his lead. He wants us to take prayer and move it from the edges of our life and move it into the center. And he helps us pray by giving us the simple yet powerful and transformative prayer. And so let's put this into practice. This week I want to challenge you to slowly and thoughtfully pray the Lord's Prayer line by line. And here's how you do it. You can paraphrase and personalize the Lord's Prayer. Take this prayer that Jesus gave us and paraphrase it. Put it in your own words. Let each line inspire you to praise God, to confess sin, and to ask God for what you need. And once you've prayed through one section of the Lord's Prayer, you can move on to the next. Begin with the first line and just dwell on that amazing reality that God is your Heavenly Father. Praise Him that Jesus has made this relationship with God possible. Thank God that He isn't some cold, impersonal, distant God who is indifferent to your needs. Thank him that He's the Father who loves you and invites you into His presence. This week, a little girl in our nursery prayed this. She said, "Thank you God for wanting me to talk to you." Thank you God for wanting me to talk to you." What a beautiful and simple prayer. Church, our Father wants you to talk with Him. He invites you into His presence to adore Him, to revere Him, to worship Him. He wants you to prayerfully express your desire for His kingdom to come. He asks you to come into His presence and share with Him all of your needs, all of your burdens, whether it's material needs or spiritual needs. He invites you to ask Him for forgiveness and to overcome temptation. God wants you to pray to him. And this privilege of prayer has been bought and purchased for us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the eternal Son of God stepped out of heaven and he came into this world. He lived a perfectly sinless life and then he died the death that we deserve to die. On that cross, Jesus, the Son of God, conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered Satan so that we could call God our Father. Jesus came into this world and brought the kingdom with him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And through faith in him, you get the privilege of being his servant, participating in his kingdom work, spreading his gospel, and seeing people enter into the kingdom of God. And we have the hope that one day his kingdom will come in full and this world will be made right again. And not only do we ask for daily bread, but we recognize that Jesus is our daily bread. He is the bread that came down from heaven. And when we eat of him, when we believe in him, we will live forever. You see, Jesus is the reason we can know that our sins are forgiven. He paid the price for them in full. He died in a place and rose from the dead, and now through faith in him, we are children of God. We can come and confess our sins knowing that God forgives us. And each day we live, we we can face it knowing that God gives us the power and desire to overcome temptation. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we can boldly and confidently pray the Lord's Prayer. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you come to a place in your life where you have poured out your heart to him saying, God, I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus Christ, the son of God, died for me on that cross and rose from the dead so that I could have a new life, so that I could live in your kingdom forever. Have you believed in Jesus? Church, I know many of us here today have. And the question now is, do we pray like him? Do we pray like Jesus? Let's learn how to pray. Let's pattern our prayers after the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. Let's pray this God-centered, God-dependent prayer from the heart to our loving Heavenly Father. Join me in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We pray for your kingdom to come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Help us to forgive everyone who is indebted to us. not into temptation. Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself through your church. Teach us how to pray. Help us to depend on you for all things. In Jesus' powerful name we pray.